Live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you're listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 570. My name is Eric Nelson. With me today, I have my regular co-host, Matt Longeth. Today's Friday, August 27th, 2021. We're doing a special podcast as we run into VMworld. We're going to be talking about some of the tracks and some of the interesting sessions that are going on. So Matt, how are you doing today? Eric, for those of us that are joining on the live stream over at youtube.com forward slash V barbecue, that's B-A-R-B-E-C-U-E, you can see that I'm a little lighter and leaner today. Uh, that trim and unmap command probably went a little overboard. But other than that, sir, I am well. It is hot and steamy here in central Pennsylvania today, well over 90 with a relatively high humidity and it will continue through the weekend. But how are things out there on the West Coast, sir? How's the weather? And most importantly, what is the color of the bay? Well, let me tell you, Matt, it is a beautiful day here. It's 70, beautiful, sunny, can't be better in Northern California this time of year. And uh, we got the fire season up in uh, Lake Tahoe that's gotten things smoky, but it's it's blowing, it's blowing east. Uh, and so we're having a good time here in the Bay Area right now. Perfect, beautiful weather. On the show today, we're going to be talking to Brad Doctor. Brad is head of security engineering and security architecture at VMware. He's got a group of people, a big group that works for him and we've got brad on the show we're going to be talking to him about all things security with regard to vmware and more particularly vmworld and what's happening this year at vmworld they've got their own track so brad welcome to the show we're going to get to you but just want to say hi everyone happy to be here that's great before we get to brad let's just do a little bit of the news and uh, matt i gotta say this uh i should blow my air horn but uh as of this podcast we are going to cross the one million download mark on on uh, the talk to mp4 platform that counts most of our, our 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 downloads and as you guys all know we get anywhere from three to five thousand downloads per week so thank you for that but uh this this week this this episode will across the 1 million download mark. Congrats to you and John Troyer and all the legacy of, of the podcast. And here's to another million more. Eric. Yeah, there you go. Keep on going. Uh, we're excited about that. Thanks for listening. Uh, in the news today, uh, Matt, I know that we, we did some uh, announcements at VExpert. I know Corey's not here, but why don't you mention it? Yeah, so... It- V experts that are out there that are current V experts, uh, the V expert uh, celebration party for VMware. There's going to be two separate events for the Americas on Tuesday, the 5th from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern. And then for our friends over in EMEA, uh, will be Wednesday, uh, 10-6 from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern. So again, two distinct parties there, depending on what time zone you're in. Uh, Our friends and V experts uh, over in the APJ region, please join it at whatever uh, of those two events that are out there that would suit your schedule the best. Uh, Look for the the two separate email invites. This will be uh, done over Zoom uh, that that went out. Um, Corey has sent the details within. There will be giveaways and, and votings and some award winners. Uh, from categories and voterings that that happened earlier in this year for for different blogs and contributions from the vExpert community. So again, on uh, the Americas on Tuesday the 5th and Amisa on Wednesday the 6th. 
I would definitely say um, it should be a fun party. I think we got our act together this year at VMworld. There's a lot of cool stuff going to happen. The VExpert party is one of them. If you're a VExpert and you're listening, you want to go register for this thing uh, because I know that there is like $20,000 of budget that are going to uh, uh, giveaways for the VExpert party this year. And they're, we're creating a VExpert storefront that you'll be able to get your code and go get something if you're in the party. We've got a lot of different rewards. We're probably going to have additional giveaway as well so we re really want to do this right this year because we didn't do a party last year so again we're online so we're going to but we're actually going to be doing some cool stuff online uh, and awards and prizes and a storefront that you can go get things shipped to you and uh, automatically for free globally so got that act together so we're excited about that and again just to remind you october 5th through the 7th is vm world registration opens up i believe on the 8th which is not next week but the week after after the Wednesday, the week after, I believe, is the 8th. So get ready to go build your schedule. Uh, we're going to be putting together a letter for your boss that says you want to go to VMworld and take the time off. So we're going to have a letter just like you always would try to convince your boss to give you uh, the travel budget. This year, we want you to take the time off, register for VMworld, have that calendar blocked so that you can actually go participate in all the sessions and all the cool activities are going to be happening throughout those two to three days so excited Set about that the time aside now Block that's it right, off if right. You can. that's right this is a way you know none of us matt none of us take vacations right we're all so busy working and working and turning on through zoom and zoom and zoom it's so easy just to do all this work that we we don't even know what a vacation is anymore so you know what this is going to be your stay-at-home vacation, geek out, come to VMworld, learn some security. Did you know that security is trending now? Uh, security, we looked at the um, social media posts that were happening last month, and actually security conversations for VMware hashtag is actually trending. So we know everybody's paying attention, which is why we asked Brad to come on the show today and uh, talk about security. So Brad, we always kick this off with like, hey, who are you? What's your career arc look like? When did you, you know, start working and how long have you been doing it? And then how did you end up at VMworld, VMware? And then what do you do at VMware? So you can, you get your five minutes here to tell us who you are. All right. Well, well thanks for having me on, uh, firstly. Uh, so, so I've been at VMware since 2014 and I came in initially to be the security architect for the vCloud hybrid services service. Um, one thing led to another, more responsibility, and here we are today, right? So uh, prior to that, I was at a company called Level 3 Communications, or also known as CenturyLink. And there had a similar kind of role uh, in telecom, and that was uh, really fascinating. Uh, prior to that, I spent about 10 years or so in startup land and doing security products. Um, in those roles, it was very much R&D, uh, anything from you know, running a research team to quality engineering to even kernel development on the on the IP stack uh, for our, our product, which was an inline IPS, uh, one of them. And so, you know, kind of full scope from from software engineering all the way up to to doing infosec at scale for VMware now. So it's been very fun. I'm a very curious person. Uh, I've seen infosec found me. Uh, I was getting into trouble in high school. Um, I the first thing I did. In fifth grade, was created an infinite loop on a Mac or you know, one of the two E's um, that said something very bad, and you had to power the thing off to stop it. So, I've been doing stuff like that all along. That's yeah, it. I love it. 
That's a, it's, it's fun, kind of a funny thing because I look at your career arc and I look at my own where I started uh, in, using bulletin boards, right? And BBSs were like ways that you would steal software, right? And, and, and well, yeah. quote steal, you know, like share steal, you know, heart right. depends on who you're talking to. But it was kind of a dark art in the sense that, you know, and then over the years, it's become something that, you know, is a legitimate tool for people to use. Social media showed up and sharing showed up and community sites showed up and it went online and on web. And I look at security and it's kind of the same thing. It started with like little viruses on PCs and it, you know, I'm sure my mainframe VMs probably had security before my time, but like I look at it and now, now we have like threats and blackmail and the FBI is involved. And like the whole thing has become an industry standard for the way you operate your data center now. Right. So like what a, what a shift. Most definitely. You know, uh, one of the first companies that started uh, was a small ISP in a very small town in Colorado. And I remember one night, you know, we are having trouble with the driver board. It was a digi, it was a digi you know, octopus cable going out to a bunch of U.S. robotics modems. So I'm babysitting it, and literally uh, I get a message on the terminal and from a, someone who's on the system that shouldn't have been. And that was the first sort of like, whoa, what is, what's going on with this? And, uh, yeah, it was, it was someone, uh, you know, it was a hacker, right? Yeah. It was, it was fascinating. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting because I have several different servers, you know, that, you know, I spin up in a cage in San Jose, do fun stuff, projects, WordPress, whatever. And uh, I never paid attention to it 10 years ago. But then one day, you know, somebody ran a, you know, a port analyzer to see how many attacks I was having on each oh, yeah. port. And I was having like 10,000 attacks per day on all my ports, right? And I had various ones open because, you know, th at that time you, you'd run Unix or Linux and it didn't really matter too much, right? But then then you get yeah. these people coming in and harvesting your CPUs and you're using your CPUs. And next thing you know, your ISP is telling you to shut down because you don't have, you've got people using your machine to to you know, attack other places, and so it's just interesting how this whole thing has matured, right? Uh, and even VMware's participation in this has, you know, we started with VMs, and nobody really thought about security. We didn't have anything encrypted. We didn't have, you know, you could. It was pretty much wide open back in the two, early two thousands to where now, you know, where are we today? Why don't you give us a run through of kind of like uh, what is VMware's role in this? I know we have zero trust, right? So maybe you can just mention a little bit of zero trust, and then we'll get into VM world. Definitely. So, so I mean, you know, honestly, VMware has a very broad role, and and we almost got into this and almost stealthily got into this, you know, because we're perceived as an infrastructure company first and foremost. But when you look at zero trust architecture and what we have to offer for that, we've got NSXT, for instance, for data center level microsegmentation, and a lot of other things. We've got Workspace One for application access, for Workspace One access for authorization, right, authentication, you know federate out to, to anything you want, to use a token, to use a certificate, Okta, RSA, FIDO, whatever you want to do. Very flexible. And then of course, we've got Carbon Black, which is part of that as well, on uh, the endpoints, as well as server workloads in the cloud, data center, you, know, you name it. Uh, and then finally, we've got Secure State. That's a, I'd say, somewhat little known product, but it's, it's one of the most important cloud monitoring tools that we have in our SOC, Security Operations Center. All of our public cloud logging comes through Secure State, and it really helps us understand what's happening. So, a very important product that we, you know, acquired a few years ago, and it's still doing a great job. Right. What, what when you look at our, our IT practitioners, they they 
typically aren't security experts. We've had maybe 10% are super, super security. I name a couple influencers and guys that are really into security, but they, it, they were always the loud vocal ones that most of us would go, Oh, go away. Le- you know, leave us alone. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, it's too much detail. It's not really an issue. If you look at having come to VMware, do you see that changing from our user's perspective? It, it, it definitely is. And it's the convergence of the SDDC, Software Defined Data Center, to include the network, which is implicit, obviously, security needs to be there. And you look at NSX and how it's integrated at the workload, at the application, you know, the, the firewall rules, the, the intrusion detection prevention policies, all that stuff is right there with it. And so it's really taken the skill set of a virtual infrastructure administrator and merging it with an InfoSec skill set. Uh, I think we, we finally had the, the first uh, certified security practitioner for VMware technologies. And, and that's an important milestone as well. Uh, and, and so it, it really speaks to just how closely these functions are coming together. Right, 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 right. All right, Matt, uh, I'll, I'll ask you, before we drill down into VMworld, uh, anything that, that piques your interest from a standpoint of the high-level security space that we should ask Brad before we move into what's happening at VMworld? Well, just coming back from the you know the EUC side of the house, and always being my, my you know peak of interest of how you know this anywhere workspace and security are now merging in with one another with our SASE approach, right? With how that now has developed and is now being pushed to the, the forefront from both through the total EUC stack. So, Brad, if you would just to, if you could elaborate a little bit of how that has now transitioned and is integrated with, you know, not only zero trust but then with our current EUC play. Definitely. So, zero trust, as buzzwordy as it is, it, it it is that for a reason because it's a very fundamental, incredibly important shift in architecture. This is not about new tools, new technology, new fancy buzzword, whatever. This is about architecture. And when you look at what it enables you to do, for instance, you can manage your entire fleet, mobile, laptops, even servers through Workspace ONE. You can push down Carbon Black. You can push down competitive products. It doesn't matter. You can you can pre-configure. You can do all these things. You can have all of your endpoints not joined to any sort of Active Directory, have everything work from home native, right? Workplace anywhere, workplace anywhere. Sure, you can do all whether these that's things. a corporate device or, or a BYOD. Exactly. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, the, the capabilities are the same, and they're also very privacy-focused. And so you can have that device, such as your phone, typically, uh, that you bring, be both work as well as personal, and have that separation you know, from a privacy perspective. So, so, so very important. But the thing is, we're all accessing, accessing the same data in the same place, right? And so when you look at a zero-trust architecture, whether that's something inside the data center that's being served from your data center, or something that's cloud-native being served as a SaaS kind of an offering. The data and how it's protected and how it's accessed and how it's ver- how your access to it is verified continuously is really the, the heart of Zero Trust and why it's so important. Every time you access the application, it goes through an API, and that access itself is authorized each time, right? The moment you revoke that access, you're done. You can't replay it. You can't mend in the middle because it's based on basic PKI. Uh, at least as far as we know, never say never, right? It's one thing I've learned, of course. Uh, but it's as good as it gets from an encryption perspective, from a from a crypto perspective. And so, you know, it's safe, it's secure. And I think most importantly, it's easy to use. When you look at a managed endpoint, uh, especially at VMware, 
the way we authenticate is very secure, also very user-friendly. And so it's our, our, our colleagues enjoy using what we've delivered to them. And we've got fantastic telemetry from a security perspective, uh, lightweight, we don't get in the way normally. There's always the case, right? But normally it, it's, it's working very, very well. Um, but the granularity, the telemetry, the security, all, all this adds up into something that's just a fantastic user experience. And it's built on VMware technology, all of it through and through. Um, but because of the way the products are architected, if you want to use something different for some component, you can do that. And that's the thing about zero trust is it's not one product, it's an architecture. And I think VMware has got one of the easiest to use, easiest to understand, easiest to, to operate, frankly, uh, offerings that there is. And yeah. We still often talk about that, right? Where it's sometimes with, with user acceptability to, uh, testing, right? UAT. I think that there's an element of that of security acceptability testing, right? There's yeah. security for security's sake, as sometimes we've heard out there. And there's also security to where the point where it, it gets to be um, intrusive into business operations, where we can see where it, it doesn't allow the business to accomplish what its endpoint is, right? Where it's, it's almost uh, prohibitive to operations. And I think VMware does a great job of that, right? We're, with recognizing where we need to be to deliver that seamless experience for both the end users and the operators of that security infrastructure so that it delivers that high level of security, but also does so in an unintrusive way to the, the people that actually have to interact with the endpoint device and those applications that ride on that device, whether that be a corporate owned endpoint or a BYOD. Totally agree. And our strategy is to never slow the business down. If anything, the business should be able to go faster because of the things that InfoSec does. That's sure. incredibly important. We can't add friction to the business. We can't have roadblocks. We can't, you know, and, and so it's really a risk management exercise. Because when you look at the products, the way you do how you implement them is incredibly important. And, and our approach to that is always based on risk. How long should you be able to go without logging in again? For example, for instance, right? right? Even though it's easy to log in, but how often should that be? What's the actual risk? You know, what's the difference between a day or two days or an hour or two hours? Like, you know, is that it's that type of thoughtfulness that we put into everything we we we, we you know deploy. And I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, one time, one of the the, the keynote speakers uh, actually at VMworld. Uh, uh, challenged us and said, I don't have your stuff on, on my on my laptop. It's not there. I'm like, really? Like, oh, I'm thinking, like, oh, man, this is terrible. I said, well, okay, we'll do this, right? Open up the terminal and type this command. It's like, oh, oh, it is there. Wow. Set back. like, okay, you guys are doing a good job. It's like, I had no idea. I'm like, yeah, oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad it's actually working. Uh, so, so, so that's like, you know, the ultimate testament to uh, what good looks like when it comes to end-user computing and a, and a colleague's experience. Like, oh, it's not there. Well, actually, it is. Yeah, I, I like the idea that VMware also, you know, spends time below the operating system, you know, on the hypervisor and, and NSX to kind of do this, you know, endpoint management because I don't trust the operating system vendors anymore. Like, all of us know that, like, it, it, it's not secure. You know, how many times have, you know, you get infected by virus where you just don't know what's actually happening with your kernel anymore? And it's like, you actually just 
it's just frustrating, right? Because you just don't know how many times to patch. You don't actually trust anything, but yet you don't really have a way. And, and you know, we spend all our time setting up infrastructure in the data center using vSphere, you know, using vSAN, NSX. And so why not just have this baked in so that it just handles it? And if, if it bakes it in through the process of setting up your data, your data center anyway, then it just ends up being there. And I, I, w once I get that architected, I don't have to day-to-day -day worry so much about did an operating system get corrupted because at the at the at the plumbing level I've actually got endpoint management there making the whole thing secure and it just makes it harder so that even if you do get a breach up of the operating system or at the application layer it's just so impossible to get through that you don't have to worry as much we focus a lot on lateral movement and and what you just described right is you know outcome of that could be lateral movement so enter micro segmentation in NSX T right the most recent version um, and some of the critical things. It's, and, and before I even get to the security side of it, let's talk about the operational side of it. We started our journey, VMware, believe it or not, internal IT, um, to micro-segmentation, uh, what, 2015, 2016. No one at that point knew what NSX was or how to use it. So we started getting proficient, of course, you know, long story short, where we're at today is the level of insights and awareness of what they deployed is much higher. So when there's an outage of some sort, there's far less time on a, on a bridge in a war room kind of thing, people trying to figure out, oh, I didn't do it, we didn't do it, eh, we don't really know. Um, it's far less of that and a lot more of just finding the problem, fixing it, and getting back to business. So the meantime to remediation or res resolution, whatever you want to call it, is far lower than it's been. Because when you deploy something that's micro-segmented, in order for it to work, you have to understand the application well. And that operational agility has gone way up as a result. Now think about security. And the benefits to InfoSec as part of a micro-segmented uh, you know, environment. Lateral movement is much harder. Now, of course, to what degree is your network micro-segmented? We think about this in terms of number of applications. So at this point, last I heard, we're around 160, 170 applications in production, micro-segmented, um, trending to be over 400 by the end of the year. So it's looking very good. The teams have really got it down from how they support it, how they manage it, how they deploy it. And it's helping us go faster now. Now, from a lateral movement perspective, of course, the more things you have micro-segmented, the better. Of course, you want to do it right, right? And any any rules not micro-segmented, even though it may look like it in you know, NSX, you got to have you know, things locked down to a degree. But once you get critical mass, then you can start threat modeling and saying, well, gosh, if all of our controls are, are, are properly micro-segmented and testing a lot of stuff, what does it actually look like? What, how much risk do we actually reduce from, from, our, from our exposure? And so it becomes a very interesting conversation to have, for sure. Pat, along those lines, and, and, and speaking of micro-segmentation, how much have you brought about, let's call it developer awareness, of you know data routines and documentation that might not have existed before? Sometimes I see as, as we're dealing with customers that are implementing NSX, where we look at we don't necessarily understand the true breadth and scope of any given application of where that where it might be gathering data from and where it might be placing that data or interacting with other services on the network yep. as you're rolling out these services have you seen that as a side benefit is we start to understand a little bit more about the application stack itself so that then that's part of you know the secu the overall security let's call it analysis where we better understand what the application is doing as part of that micro segmentation Definitely. And there are a couple of ways to look at that. You know, the, the hardest, frankly, is micro segmenting an existing application. 
the brownfield approach. Um, we have tools to help with that. Vularize Network Insight, you know, Bernie, uh, NSX Intelligence, you know, these things can help with that, but it's still very difficult. And in some cases, they're in that state because they've been a little bit neglected. And so it's almost a, do you fix it or you just rebuild it new in a, in the new environment? It, it becomes a question of economics. What, what's the, what's the quickest and cheapest way to get to your end goal basically. But with those tools, at least you have this insight, right? You can, you can make that tactical decision of now you have the information and the pathways, uh, what it might take to rebuild or do an, a net new, uh, ground up deployment on another platform or maybe containerization if, if you're looking at that particular, you know, if you're going there anyway, so to say, maybe this is now the, the implicit to, to refactor that app. Indeed, indeed, yeah. And, you know, every, every organization is going to have, you know, their unique requirements and, and approaches, but, uh, you know, the, a, a lot of the, the issues you have have been anticipated with the offerings we have from a product perspective to make that adoption easier. At the end of the day, that's what it's about is making it easy to adopt. All right. And with that, let's talk about VMworld. Uh, first question, Brad, are you going to VMworld? Are you speaking at VMworld? I'm going, but this year I'm not speaking. However, some of our folks are. So that, that makes me ha much happier, to be honest. It's good to be able to delegate and let uh, the younger crowd come up and, uh, and, and spend some time getting some experience doing that. And sometimes exactly. even more senior people, for that matter. Uh, simplifying your journey to zero trust. I know that's a big theme of VMworld this year. Uh, and I know that we've got some keynotes. So I guess we should first say there's a whole track for VMworld. So if you haven't been paying attention, there's a whole track with, uh, I think, Matt, is it 100 and 55 security sessions happening in that track? Right. So if you go to the vmworld.com uh, title page or main page, and then you click on tracks, you'll see that security is a featured track this year. And then if you drill into those given sessions, there is 155 individual security or security-related uh, sessions that are out there. Now, these range, you know, the gamut. This could be uh, zero trust. This could be more about anywhere workforce securing the multi-cloud or, or whatnot. But if you click on that track, this will walk you through all of those security-focused uh, presentations that are going to be out there uh, for VMworld 2021 uh, and to, to dive into details of, of all of those individual sessions. I I got a, a little bit of time to look through some of them, and I know we we are limited in how much time we get to spend with you, Brad, uh, so, but one of the fun topics, I don't know if I would call this fun, but innovations in ransomware defense for multi-cloud environments. Um, what is this? Where is ransomware these days? I know that that would be something I'd be interested in making sure that if I've got stuff running that I'm not going to get a mail from somebody saying, yeah, I've just encrypted your database and you owe me $10,000 in order to get your, your data back. Like, uh, where are we going with some of that stuff? And uh, I, I think that's an interesting topic. Yeah, yeah. Ransomware is a, is a serious problem. And ordinarily, you know, once, well, well let's put it this way. The most common way to get into an organization to start a ransomware event is through an endpoint. So when you think about zero trust and zero trust architecture and, and a subtle point that I mentioned earlier, an endpoint not being on the domain, this is important because endpoints that are fully joined to the domain have a cache of the credentials on the domain, right? The, uh, like a Mimikatz attack, for instance. What we see happen often is those credentials will be taken off of that endpoint 
cracked, and it'll come back and use that endpoint to pivot into the network, either across the VPN or maybe checking to the VPN directly themselves as one of your users, right? So having a fully authenticated session directly into your network. When you think about that, how is an organization in that state going to be able to defend against something like that? So once the perpetrators are in, it's it's pretty much just a matter of time and it's game over. It's as bad as it seems. Uh, we, we've helped a number of situations as much as we could, and the symptoms were all the same, right? They were based on initial in, entry, were based on credentials. And once you're in, probably not micro-segmented, probably not a zero-trust architecture inside the data center either. So it's carte blanche. Take the data, start encrypting stuff, start demanding your ransom. Horrible. So it's a big deal. And, and we've got the tools to help, right? But these, again, zero-trust architecture. It's so important. It's not just doing this or just doing that. It's, all, it's, it, it's the whole architecture. And it really starts with credentials, not using passwords. We have internal policy written that says a password is never an acceptable form for any reason, right? I forget exactly what it says, but it's it's never an acceptable form of authentication. I just searched on uh, ransomware on the on the security track, and I think I'm looking at ten different sessions um, talking about ransomware, how to prevent ransomware attacks, innovations in ransomware defense uh, to yep. ransomware resistance and recovery using vSphere security. So a lot of cool topics to be able to just bring you up to speed, either from basic or even you know some more sophisticated sophisticated topics here. Uh, it looks like there's plenty of content to spend quite a bit of time, you, should, you know, would encourage people to register. Yeah, there, there's a lot of very interesting content for sure. Um, you know, on the topic of zero trust, uh, a, a name that um, you should know is, is Peter Bjork. Years ago, Peter was at VMworld, years ago, talking about zero trust, right, and how to do it with with, infos, with our tools at that time. Um, so this is session uh, SEC, so SEC 1028 or 1028. And Peter Bjork, so have a look at that because he's, he's also helped us as well with his vision, his knowledge, and all that. And uh, that's going to be a really, really good one, and it's a very practical approach to how you actually implement zero-trust security architecture. Nice. Um, I'll also do a shout-out to all our community listeners, uh, Bob Plankers. Bob Plankers, Senior Technical yep. Market Architect, comes on the podcast quite often. He's going to be doing ransomware resistance and recovery with vSphere Security, SEC 1385. That's another one. If you know Bob, he's awesome. Um, go go check out his session and register for that one as well. Uh, other topics here uh, that, that maybe should be mentioned, um, uh, innovations in secured, securing the di distributed workforce. I think you talked a little bit about that. Uh, we didn't mention the keynotes. I suppose we should mention the keynotes a little bit. If I come back up to the tracks and you select security, uh, you will see that I'm in search mode here. Got to get rid of ransomware. You will see who is doing the tracks. And I, I will get uh, your, Brad, I'll get your opinion on who that is once I manage to clear and find the security track. Here we go. And I'll get the speakers. Sure. So we got Patrick Morley, Renu, and Dr. Emily Estwick. Uh, any information that you can tell us about those people? Because on the site, it just has their just has them. It doesn't say what they're going to be talking about or who they are or anything about them. So I wonder if you yeah. know anything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so Patrick Morley is the, the general manager uh, of, of our security business unit. He was formerly the CEO of Carbon Black. 
And so he, he came with Carl Black, an amazing person, amazing speaker as well. Um, if you want to learn something, that's a great place to go for sure. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I think Renu is a VP of product marketing EUC. So I would assume she'll be talking about EUC security and that, that whole space that we've been talking about. Indeed. And you know, I can't understate the importance or overstate the importance rather of Workspace ONE and EUC and all that as part of the Zero Trust architecture. When you look at the, the synergy with Carbon Black, you know, it was, it was a fantastic match. And, and we use them extensively, obviously, as part of our you know, strategy here at VMware. But uh, it, it's good stuff, so so it'll be very interesting. Okay, and, and doc, then, Dr. Uh, it's an Amelia Estwick. Yeah, Dr. Estwick. Yeah, so so threat research at VMware and the you know, the the uh, TAU threat analysis unit, I believe, is what they actually call it within Carbon Black. Um, you talk about a critical function and, and a critical role, a critical department. The threat intel, the threat, all that stuff feeds directly into Carbon Black and our customers impacts our customers directly. Uh, last line is another acquisition we did that's being integrated into NSX, also relies on threat intelligence. So these are foundational contributors to our security products. So incredibly important. I'm sure. I mean, how much of these, of any given vulnerability that's came out there, uh, you know, within, let's say, the last, what, Brad, you, you would be able to comment to this, three to four years, mostly zero day, right? Or, or we're seeing... You know, this isn't where we're picking up a signature for, for a known exploit. And sure, in some in instances, but I would say mostly not anymore, right? This is where, where we need that extra level of what is a nominal state on the network. And then we're, now that we have a known good state where we can use those advanced analytics to say, okay, something's not right here, right? And then to set off yes. a flag off to our, our, our SOC. And that's modern security, right? Or, or a big part of, of modern security. Definitely, you know, we, uh, we we use Lastline internally extensively, and uh, we actually evaluated Lastline from a consumer perspective before the acquisition, totally unrelated. Um, and, and we were very happy to hear that the acquisition happened because we really liked what we saw. So, yeah, that's good stuff. But you know, to your point, you know, zero days, uh, definitely. But the, the the whole point of threat research is to Find where the 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 what's called the, the, the bad the adversaries are going. To understand where they're going before they get there or when they get there, so you can be ready to defend against that. And and it does help raise the bar. This isn't about signatures or stuff like that. This is about understanding the actual threat actors and what they're actually doing, where they're doing it, so you can be better prepared for that. And that is really one of the the magic functions of a threat intelligence capability and ultimate outcome. Do, do we do we have like the you know a private knock that you sign up for to get these threat notifications? Um, how do we you know I know that some people some places have that where you're you're inside and then you get notifications and email or I don't even know if email is the right the right channel for that kind of stuff. But how does VMware handle notification to our customer base on these type of things? Because it's like if you spend too much, everybody knows that you're you're doing it. Where does that where does that land? It's a good question, and, and to be completely transparent, I don't have a, a great answer here. Um, I'm pretty sure most of it is woven into the product as updates. Ah, I see. You know, last line delivered or downloads features. Right. So does right. Carbon Black, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know that yeah. we've we've worked with the security guys since Carbon Black came over, and we've been working with them on even creating a private blog that you get, you have access to. That then you know we can actually have people blogging about you know and publishing kind of like what Microsoft does, where they have a destination and you go there, and then you're watching feeds that are being published on threat research or threat initiatives that are that are that are real time, right? So it'll be interesting yeah. to see how VMware you know is engaged in that space. It's a little scary for me because it's like extra work as an administrator. Now I have a place I have to go check for things and I don't want to have to do that. So I'd much rather have VMware do it, update and things are just stay secure. And I don't have to pay attention to every week what's actually happening out in the bad world that's out there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's nonstop until you, yeah. you know, it yeah. is nonstop. I can see that. Right, your, your history and your experience has been, you know, everything from that small ISP operator originally out in Colorado to a national service provider with CenturyLink and obviously now here at VMware. What's some of, of that you can speak to? What's one of the more interesting or um, memorable vulnerabilities that you saw out there that you just went, wow, this is next level of, of what we were, you know, uh, of being able to, you know, exploit code or make that next level um, vulnerability that may have not even appeared for months or weeks after um, that uh, a malicious actor was able to gain to a system that really, you know, <laughs> caught you off guard. How, how about a malicious actor being able, being able to take down uh, uh, regions of the U.S. Uh, ISP infrastructure um, that that with a single packet on the network, right? Uh, I won't mention any vendors, anything like that. Um, but we saw that we uh, rapidly responded to to all hands on deck, hair on fire. This is not a not a drill to uh, to respond and, and and get the infrastructure patched against that because it was literally a single packet. Um, so that was that, and then there was another single packet. Prior to that, back in my startup days, which we found on accident actually, and that brought down uh, switching gear from a from a particular vendor and caused outages at very large military installations that they couldn't explain until they figured out where it was coming from, which happened to yeah, that, be very close. Those are interesting interesting stories. My my question in your career, have you seen uh, IP theft? You know, because IP theft is another one of these issues that comes up. It's not just bringing down infrastructure. It's actually oh, yeah. stealing your source code or other critical data. You know, it's funny. One of the probably the greatest ever uh, from an impact and personal perspective was uh, Office of Personal Management, OPM. A lot of people don't remember this, and that's probably not a bad thing, honestly. <laughs> but if you look it up, OPM has all the SF-86 forms for anyone who's ever had a clearance. All of that data was taken. This is partly where CrowdStrike and Mandiant really got their name started, right, or made their name, I guess you could say, uh, because it really helped peel back and figure out what actually happened there. And if, if you're scratching out and saying, what is this, you should really look it up because it's an important part of history. And so I'd say that's probably one of the most impacting because as someone who's held a clearance at the, at the highest level in the past, you give everything, fingerprints, right. friends, relatives, cousins, like there's, there's no question that goes unanswered is my point whatever and who knows right. what else they had in addition to the form you fill out right and so you know uh, if that were to happen now i would actually worry about 
the kinetic outcomes that would result for something like that today. Very different time. Yeah, that's a that's just an interesting perspective, right? Because it's also human life. It's risky. It's like it's like yeah, like not only capital Very, loss but just human lo human loss, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about it. every person who held, held a clearance. Again, this is all public knowledge, right? Every per person who held a clearance, their information was taken. Yeah. Yeah. Let that sink in. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a different level of that. That that's a different that's that gets gets into government security and a whole another level of security, right? Yeah, right. Military right. security and all of that, right? Yeah. So there, mm -hmm. there yeah, it, it is a serious serious piece. And if we can we can obviously provide solutions, it's good. It's good. Um, Matt, we're coming up. I know we have a hard stop in four or five more minutes. So we always typically ask Brad, um, you're not going to, you're going to be promoting sessions at VMworld. Um, do you get out and do other things in the ecosystem? Um, or are you just busy running, you know, the engineers that are working on the problems? Yeah. You know, pretty, you know, between, uh, family and work, uh, every day is pretty well packed at this point. So, yeah. Right. Um, what could the community do with regard to helping you, you know, either, you know, move the message forward, move the industry forward, move VMware forward. We get a lot of V experts and a lot of people that listen to the podcast that are, you know, either advocates or bloggers. Um, any kind of thoughts around uh, what, what our user base and our community can do to help VMware move forward in this space? <clears throat> a checklist yeah. of things to do. Yeah, you know, we always talk about vendors and technologies and all these fancy things, and, and, and look where we are. Are we any better? It's about architecture, and I think that's where the conversation really needs to switch. When we talk about practitioners and people actually doing this stuff, right. it's really about architecture. You should be able to swap in a vendor for any function and, and do equally well. You shouldn't rely on a single layer of protection for your entire operation, right? Um, and so, so again, it's, it's about the architecture, and it's about getting the bar higher and higher and higher and keeping it going up. Uh, and, and so I think that's where the conversation really needs to shift to is, okay, how can we make this architecturally difficult to, to compromise or unappealing to, to go after? Now you're on the right track. It's not about buying the next Wizbing product. It's not about the latest and greatest technology. It's the architecture. All right. And then finally, because we've got like two minutes left, question, are you on Twitter? I, I, my guess is no. Security guys generally aren't on Twitter, but if you're on Twitter, I we'll have, give you a shout out. Yeah, I, I have a handle, but I don't really. You don't no, don't use it. I, I wouldn't think so. I, I wouldn't think yeah. so. And because we publish on uh, V Barbecue, um, you can go to YouTube.com/vbarbecue. Um, we always end the podcast with uh, a barbecue question. So, Brad, we didn't ask you where do you reside in the on the planet, and then what's your favorite either barbecue you make or barbecue joint that you go to? Sure. So, uh, so I'm in Denver, Colorado, or closer to Louisville, Colorado. And in Louisville, there's a great place called Lulu's Barbecue. L-U-L-U, -L -U, Lulu's. It's absolutely amazing. Some of the best brisket I've had. I've had brisket in Texas, which is amazing too. Don't get me wrong, but when you get out of Texas, this is about as best as I found outside of Texas. I was gonna and say it's, it's Colorado great. doesn't know anything about cattle or barbecue. No, they, right? those guys don't right. have anything up there. Best rodeo right. I've ever been to is uh, you know up, up in Colorado. So that that's that's a nice place, good place to live. Sorry, you're yeah. breathing some of our smoke from the Sierras, but that's just the way yeah. it goes. Uh, good barbecue brisket. Um, you, you like brisket, and it's Lulu's in what what city? 
in Louisville, Colorado. Louisville, Colorado, Lulu's. All right. Correct. Give a shout out to that for lunch, actually. And, you know, if you go there and you mention Brad Doctor's name, they'll look at you and wonder if you're okay. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Brad, thanks a lot for joining us today. I would encourage everybody, if you made it to the end, thank you very much. Go to VMworld. Look at the security tracks, you know, the ransomware, uh, Bob uh, Plunkers, and and the ones you've heard today. Go register for a couple of these. It'll be good for your career. It's good for all of us to, you know, uh, understand how to get here. So um, thanks thanks for being being here brad my pleasure thanks for having me matt thanks for coming on a friday and talking vmworld i think we're going to make this a regular vmworld talk about all the cool sessions that are happening at vmworld friday afternoon barbecue session it's that time of the year so why not why not yeah love it all right brad thanks a lot guys we'll be back again uh next wednesday live for hol i believe and until then everybody have a great weekend and get some barbecue